On this episode of Comedy Rewind, is Galaxy Quest the greatest sci-fi comedy of all time? Is there a better example of a movie making fun of a genre while also paying tribute to it? Home Improvement, Santa Claus, Jungle to Jungle, what happened to Tim Allen? All of this and more on Comedy Rewind. 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 Push Rewind. I thought this was a comedy show. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Comedy Rewind. We are powered by Audio Technica as we rewatch the great comedies of the 1990s. And I'm your host, John O'Peck. But joining me this week by Grabthar's Hammer, what a guest host. It's Trevor Scott. How you doing? Yeah, good thanks, John. <laughs> <laughs> One half of Bitstorm. It's, uh, it's good to, to have you on the show again after Clerks way back at episode three, I think. Yeah, yeah. All the way from... 17 episodes ago through to now. Mm, yeah, it's very exciting. So we're talking about Galaxy Quest, which I'm excited to do because I have just watched this movie last night after possibly not watching it since it released. I'm not sure that I have seen it again, but I loved it when it came out. And yeah, I really enjoyed it on the second rewatch, but maybe we can start with you. What was What's your history with this film, at least? I remember seeing it in the theatres when it first came out, thinking, oh my god, this was such a good film, I can't wait till it comes out on DVD, only to realise that DreamWorks didn't have a um, distribution deal here in Australia, so it didn't actually come out on DVD for like three or four years. Wow. Um, It (laughs) really sucked, because I remember getting a DVD player going, I want... Um, Galaxy Quest. Yeah, it's not yeah. available. <laughs> so the second that it came out, I bought it, and unfortunately, the Australian version wasn't very good when it first came out. Was that? It had some weird anamorphic stuff happening, so it it showed in pan and scan rather than widescreen. Yeah, oh, that's that's but, bizarre. It's it's so weird to think of these issues existing. It doesn't, I know, it? I know, but yeah. that's <laughs> sort of showing my age. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was very much the tail end of the 90s. It's probably the latest we could ever do on this podcast because it released in the US on the 25th of December, 1999. And in (laughs) Australia, it wasn't until April 6, 2000. So we're kind of cheating here and doing a 2000s movie. No, we're not. We're doing 1999 because that's when it was made. It's a 90s film because that's when it was made. Yeah, and the fact that it stars Tim Allen, like it just has to be a nineties movie, really, oh, yeah. doesn't it? Hundred percent. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to when you go through the Santa Claus films. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe Christmas this year if it doesn't beat out Jingle All the Way. But I'm curious, like, were you going into this as a Trekkie? Is it something that you had anticipated watching from the trailers? I suppose it was a Trekkie thing because I mean, I love Star Trek, I love Star Wars, I love everything sci-fi, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, just it rung all those bells for me. Um, thinking back, nineteen nineties, I was probably still a fan of Home Improvement. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he just like Home Improvement finished the year that this came out, so I guess it was almost peak Tim Allen in some ways. Like Toy Story had become yep. really big, and they'd done two of those movies by this point, and then yeah, Home Improvement ending the Santa movies. Jungle to Jungle was a, a big kids movie, I remember, with Tim Allen. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's interesting. We'll have to talk about kind of his drop off in relevancy. But I guess Toy Story's always kind of kept him relevant in the same way that Shrek has with Mike Myers and Eddie Murphy, despite their kind of stumbles or kind of lack of releasing movies with their names attached to it. So in yeah. that sense, he he never really completely gone away and he's had some TV shows and that kind of thing, which we'll get into. But yeah, it's it's Tim Allen, and it's a, he's a very '90s style of personality and humor. I think would just wouldn't you say? No, oh, very much so. Very much so. You can sort of tell just with some of the things that are that exist within within this movie that it is purely '90s and doesn't spill over into the into the 2000s at all. Like the mm. technology that's sort of shown in the movie is it, it feels like ancient history. <laughs> For me. Yeah, we'll get to to that in the what's the most 90s thing probably. But I think while we're talking about Tim Allen, I, I think one of the things about him, like maybe one of the reasons that he's not such a, a draw these days is his, as I mentioned, his style of humor was very like blokey and yep. like, this is like, this is what guys are like. This is what women are like. Like, this is the <laughs> difference between 
men and women and it's it was funny and i'm sure sure some of it was was true like i never really got into his stand-up but home improvement i remember as a kid finding it quite funny Mm. and he he's a pretty outspoken republican now i'm sure that like that's become like (laughs) he's compared it to uh being like a jew in the 1930s in germany I don't think it's quite that bad. And I think a lot of people would agree that that was probably an overstepping exaggeration there, but just as, a little yeah. bit, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, as, as far as being a Republican in Hollywood, like, yeah, it's hard to think of a lot of successful ones these days who continue to get their stuff made. And his TV show, last man standing, I think there was some controversy over its cancellation for like speculation that it was politically motivated, but mm-hmm. do you think that his drop-off has been kind of just the t- the changing times or do you think it's something else? 100% the changing times. I mean, everything now is so distributed across every every single channel. Um, everyone has a voice now, whereas back in the 90s, they didn't have a voice. The internet has provided a lot more, um, a lot more opportunities for, for people to actually speak out against people who just... You know, the way that comedy actually happened back there, you wouldn't have that today and get away with a lot of the stuff that was said back then. But mm. in this movie, there wasn't much of it. Like, I watched it with, with that sort of mind mindset of, could this, you know, later on we'll talk about, could this be made and would, would people be offended now? But there's only a couple of small things that I'll talk about later on. But mm. for the most part, this was pretty good. It's such a clever film. It's such a well-written comedy really it, it's yep. what did i write here it's it's the kind of movie that is a tribute to sci-fi it's a tribute to nerd culture in a time that it wasn't cool yep sorry it makes fun of these things at the same time as it's a tribute to them and i think that that's what it does so well yep 100 percent. like it it's not making fun of the of the star trek fandom but it's also having some tongue-in-cheek jest with it as well like at the same time yeah. proving that um yeah like whoever wrote this film should be really really um <laughs> impressed and and should actually be applauded nowadays when you look back at some of these other 90s films around around the time and they really don't hold up but this holds up really really quite well mm. yeah it's interesting to kind of go through some research on the internet and see like all the comments from like cast members of Star Trek, whether it was like Next Generation, the original, uh, people who, who've been part of that franchise and sharing their take on the movie. And almost every single response I saw was like, they loved it. They yep. they nailed it. Like there's so many times that I've had that experience at a convention with fans or like the politics of between the cast members and, and that kind of thing. And and what it's like to be known for one thing and, and you know, whether it's Leonard Nimoy getting things shouted out at him on the street or Shatner or whatever it is. So I think that they did a really good job to tap into that in the, a way that for some reason no one else had done. And it's basically yep. the premise of this movie is the whole thing. It, it Like you tell someone what this movie's about and the rest of it almost writes itself because it's just such a great premise. Yep. Um, one of the things that I was probably most impressed about was the fact that this whole movie is based off of a a TV series that didn't exist, but you could almost imagine that it actually did because it's such a well-worked universe that feels lived in. You know, mm. it's it actually feels um, as if someone could have made this about Star Trek and it would not have been as good because you're sort of learning a little bit about the about the characters at the same time, but then you've got these hardcore fans that are just, um, that love this show so much, which is very true of Star Trek as well. So to actually come up with these new characters and still have those same tropes that you, that you expect mm. from those sci-fi shows, trying to, trying to introduce new characters as well as having them feel as if they've been there for years at the same yeah. time so that's a yep. very fine line to walk definitely and and they they never really straight up parodied any individuals at the same time like you can see obviously the tim allen like confident kind of leader is based off 
of a Captain Kirk, but he's not doing a Shatner impersonation. No. Like there's a, there's a no. few mannerisms, maybe when he's sitting in the command chair, but he doesn't have the speech patterns. That a lot of people would have. Yeah, a lot of actors probably would have gone in that direction. Seems obvious, I guess. And then Dr. Lazarus, played by Alan Rickman, like he's not doing a Spock impersonation, even though that's, I guess, the closest comparison that he's kind of emulating there. Yep. Okay, so... This movie was done at a modest budget of $45 million, which is pretty impressive considering the cast it has and mm. the amount of special effects at the time uh, with industrial light and magic. It made $90 million, so doubled its budget, which it's you know not insane numbers compared to some of the comedies we've talked about on this podcast, but enough for it to be considered a success and the type of film it is naturally it's going to become a cult classic and we can see oh, yeah. that it really has have you seen the documentary that someone pointed out to me on twitter no no i need to need to spend some time yeah. I, I did notice it in my in my travels today but i only watched the the movie today so yeah i kind of need to go back and and watch it me too i'm hoping that some of the territory it covers is covered in the research i did in written form online but you know, they, they have people like J.J. Um, Abrams and Damon Lindelof and these kinds of guys talking about the influence of, of this on the sci-fi that they're making now. And I, I guess it is like pointing out the absurdities of those old shows, but as, as well as yep. what makes them special. And I think that that, as I mentioned before, it's it's done in such a, a great way that they, they're spoofing things like the cliches at the same time as um, celebrating them. Rotten Tomatoes, what do you think the critic consensus reached on this one? Ooh, I reckon 80s? Yeah, 89. Nice. Quite high. It's one, one of That's... the higher ones I can recall. Maybe a, maybe Big Lebowski would have got that high, something about Mary, but yeah, I'm not exactly sure, but... Yeah, from from what I could see today when I had a quick look, I not that I looked at any real reviews, but I couldn't find that many negative reviews of it. Mm. Um, and, you know, <laughs> I try to stay away from Rotten Tomatoes a lot. <laughs> I find that I don't quite like their, their metric. <laughs> I'll quite often go to a Metacritic or something like that. Yeah, it's, it's a certainly... When you understand what they're looking for, it, it, t- to take it in context... It, makes a big difference rather than just throwing the number out there i guess but, oh yeah hmm. you know to me that says most people like the movie and yeah it doesn't tell you that it's a masterpiece it just tells you that it's very likable i guess yeah okay so the number one song when this released in the u.s was unless you want to have a guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah me with music is probably not a great thing <laughs> unless unless it's like metal yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, it was Christmas 1999 and it was Smooth by Santana with Rob Thomas. Nice. And then nice. Uh, That's a, good a song. few months later, when it released in Australia, it was NSYNC's Bye Bye Bye. So that's, that's what we're looking <laughs> that, that at That is here. so 2000s. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is. We'll get to What Have You Done For Me Lately. I mentioned Tim Allen's Last Man Standing sitcom and obviously Toy Story 4 was a huge success last year. Alan Rickman, unfortunately, passed away in the recent few years. Uh, May he rest in peace. Yeah, absolutely. Like, one of the... I don't know if we say one of the great actors of his generation, but he certainly was a, a one of a kind, I think. And his, Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely brings so much to, to every role, whether it was, you know, Harry Potter, Dogma, he was great in. Yep, and hearing Kevin Smith talk about him and how, like... Um, originally he was going to be brought in to do a role in Hit Somebody, the, um, the, uh, what was the ice hockey film that, that, uh, Kevin Smith was planning on doing, uh, many, many years ago. But just the fact that Alan Rickman, you know, was in this one film of his yet also, you know, didn't, didn't mind that it was a really silly film that he was involved in. It was it was mm. something different to what he'd done in the past, and he was always looking for something different, which is why yeah. when I saw that he was in this film, I, I and had almost forgotten that he was in this film. <laughs> I'm like, he melds into that character so, so well that you don't yeah. think of any of the other characters that he's played. Yeah, for sure. And I think 
he had said that he was not a sci-fi fan at all but the the script was too good to pass up and he was just a big fan of of comedy in general and wanted to be yep. part of a great comedy and that's that's what he did here um yeah interesting that this was coming just after dogma a couple of years after dogma i guess and that's kind yep. of from what i can remember they're probably his only straight up comedies that he's done he was in love actually love actually more yep. of that kind of a rom-com and he's definitely playing more of a straight man in that a straight man who cheats <laughs> yeah <laughs> sigourney weaver the only oh. probably sci-fi royalty uh, you know yeah sci-fi royalty i guess and really playing a character that um speaks to the <laughs> the way that a lot of women were portrayed in in i guess the 80s and 70s as far as just being there for their looks yeah so different from um you know ripley in aliens i guess it's, it's kind of not her experience in sci-fi but many others yeah and it's actually um people forget that she was also a comedy actor actress um you know she was she was in ghostbusters she was in dave she was in you know a lot of these sort of uh films of the 80s that were actually Mm. considered you know quite funny she often played the the straight woman in it but um Mm. it was it was still she was she's a very um very big comedic actress after her her sci-fi stuff so a lot of people forget that (laughs) yeah so she's booked up until 2027 with four avatar sequels that are yet to come out apparently all in post-production yep i don't quite know how that's going to work given that spoiler 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 her character died in the first one (laughs) well it was the worst part about that movie the fact that she died i'm like you can't kill her (laughs) honestly i can't remember much of that film i've only seen it the first time i watched it at the movies like probably i think most people probably wouldn't have gone back to it but i yeah. bought it on dv on blu-ray and yeah. i got the 3d version because of course i've got a 3d tv uh well i did i've now i'm now using it as my computer monitor and i'm looking at you right now john i want it <laughs> <laughs> but i haven't done 3d on this thing in quite a while um yeah but I only watched it the once at the cinemas. I haven't actually watched it again on right. Blu-ray since. How did she die? Was it a very like final death? Uh, it seemed to be it. Um, she well, she was in the Avatar at the time mm. when she died. Right. So whether they they talk about her just being a, a a completely CGI character going forward or playing a different character, maybe she had a twin sister that we didn't know yeah. about. <laughs> It's really weird because I remember seeing Avatar in the cinemas going, wow, this was a really good film and then just not wanting mm. to go back to it. Like, yeah. unlike all other James Cameron films, which I pretty much, you know, always go back to. Like, I've watched The Abyss so many times and that's not one that people normally expect me to to mention when I talk James Cameron. No, it's such a strange phenomenon that everyone saw that movie and then everyone didn't talk about it again after the initial experience even but, though it's um, somehow you know like second on the on the highest grossing yeah. film of all time or whatever that's it so apart from the avatar movies she's recently done dark crystal on netflix i think she's done the oh, voiceover nice. yep. yeah and then the defenders another netflix series she was part of uh can we talk about one of the best roles that she ever did and it's only a small little bit part sure cabin in the woods Oh yeah, she plays like the um the big uh the big boss of of like the um oh, the yeah. group behind behind the cabin. Yeah, right. I don't want to talk too much in case you haven't seen it. You have to uh, go yeah. in as blind as possible um, on that film if you haven't seen it because it is amazing. But she mm. she pops up in a cameo at the end and it's just great. She's actually yes. done a few of those cameos where she sort of plays like a big boss sort of character. Um, I'm glad you brought that movie up because I'm like so not the horror guy, but for some reason I watched that movie and really enjoyed it recently, very recently. So yeah, go check that out. Yep. Um, She was in Holes and she was also in the uh, movie Paul, uh, where she where she played that that big big boss sort of character again. Yeah. I I love seeing her in in a full in a full film like this though. Like, yeah, she just get. You have four more Avatar movies to look forward to. So. 
Justin Long, who plays, I can't remember his name now. He's the the geeky fan guy that kind of saves the day. Mm-hmm. He's, um, I mean, he was in Jane Silent Bob reboot, which I haven't seen yet because it hasn't come out here. But you've seen that by now. I have seen it. Yes. Yeah. Do you remember him being in it? <laughs> oh, of course I do, because yeah. he plays his same character, even though they don't name him as the same character uh, from Zack and Miri Make a right. Porno. Right, that was the that was the other Kevin Smith movie he did. Yeah, so I guess he's oh, a pretty he's, good he's done a few Kevin Smith films. He was in yeah. Tusk, and he was in um. That's right. He was in mm. Yoga Hoses as well. Okay. Yeah, he and was the this... walrus in Tusk. I mean, yeah. that's, that's a big role. <laughs> that is, it's the lead role. So he, he this was his first movie. Uh, I remember him because I was a fan of the TV show Ed, with um. Yep. Uh, Jonathan Kavanagh, I think was his name, and he played like the Tom Kavanagh. Tom Tom Kavanagh, yeah, sorry, Tom Kavanagh, and he was he was great on that show, and I've kind of seen him pop up here and there. He hasn't like he's not a huge star, but he's worked consistently, and he's always good. I always enjoy him. Yeah, um, I thought he was fantastic in Die Hard, Die Hard Four, mm. Live Free or Die Hard, and other film in which he he starred alongside Kevin Smith of all people. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's actually doing... where they met. <laughs> He's been doing some voiceover work. Did you know that he was Spyro the Dragon in Skylanders Academy? No. There you go. No. And he's a he's playing Roboto in the upcoming Masters of the Universe um, animation as well, mm-hmm. which I think is coming out this year. So Tony Shalob is is that how you pronounce it? Shalub. Shalub. Sorry, Tony Shalub is um, playing Fred Kwan. I think his name is in this movie, yes. which. It's apparently meant to be based on like there's usually like a token Asian in the Star Trek yep. crew, and he's very much not an Asian in this movie. It's kind of, it's kind of a weird <laughs> character, um, and I think because this movie was edited down from like PG to like G or something, um, they took out a lot of. It was from oh, PG thirteen oh, to PG. Right, that's what I it is. Okay, yep. yeah, which over here I guess would be just. M to G. PG. M to PG. Okay. Yeah. So they took out some swear words and he was playing his character as basically a stoner. And I don't know if that would have come through more obviously in the PG-13 version, but I didn't get that at all from watching this. I just kind of saw him as a bit of an air. I started thinking that there might have been something like that happening because um, during the scenes in which they keep on going back to the engine room and he turns around and starts congratulating the guys about how, how they got it all right, I started thinking... He kind of sounds like one of those typical stoners, but I couldn't right. quite ping whether that's what it was supposed to be. Yeah. It just seemed to be a character quirk of his. It was a bit subtle for me to pick up on it, but uh, they did make sure that he was always eating snacks and stuff. But yeah, so he's fantastic in general. Uh, we know him probably in the 90s as Monk. This was yep. may- maybe the peak of, of his career, but he's now in... The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and he's fantastic on that show. He's hilarious. Nice. Playing like a 1960s um, New York University lecturer. He's like the father of the main character. So if you have access to Amazon uh, Prime Video, definitely check out that series because he's a great part of it. Just one part. I need to get Amazon Prime then because yeah. <laughs> I, I love everything Tony Shaloub. Yeah, he's great. I mean, it's, it's one of the cheapest streaming platforms. I think it's only like six dollars a month or something and the first month is obviously free and there's definitely enough there to to make the month trial worthwhile with the boys and fleabag as well Uh, the last person this is a pretty pretty stacked cast i should say because we're we're still going here and i could continue but the last one i want to talk about is enrico colant colantoni who many would know from just shoot me playing elliot you might know him from veronica mars he's playing keith mars and that's probably where i know him best but he is playing mal shazar in this film was that his name uh mathazar he's like the head of the aliens uh fantastic performance he brings i forgot that that was that was actually um veronica mars's father like the entire time until he got to the end i'm like that's who that was (laughs) yeah and it's such a quirky and off the wall performance that he's just invented like it wasn't in the script it didn't say like you talk this way but he just came up with this weird alienic 
style of speech that makes sense. Like someone emulating a human wouldn't exactly nail it. Mm-hmm. And they have a lot of those flourishes in this movie with like the way that the aliens walk and the way they clap and laugh. And it's it's um it really, I think, comes back to what he brought to that character. So if this is a chance to talk about him, I think he really sold the fact that they're aliens. Oh, 100%. 100 percent um i mean they say the great actors you know they they swing for the fences i know that um you know nicholas cage quite often swings and and sometimes goes maybe a little bit too far um but no he just he nailed it like even even during like the torture scene and that sort of stuff where he finds out that that they lied and all this sort of stuff like you can really feel the pain yeah um and you know it just it resonates and it makes you forget that this is an actor doing his job. This actually felt like, yes, this is an alien. And mm. he sold the, he sold the scene. Um, I know that you said this is the last character that you, you, you wanted to highlight, but yeah, I mean, I we've missed. got a few other characters, a few other mentions in here. Um, an early rain Wilson. Yeah. I'll finish Enrico and then we can go into yeah. the, the others. So it, if you're wondering what they've done for you lately, I mentioned there was a Veronica Mars movie that came out last year. He's mostly done TV shows. No, um, Veronica Mars fourth season, like 10 Oh, was that a season? season? Yeah, that's what I was thinking yeah. of. I remember they did something last year. Yeah. There was a movie and then the fourth season last year. He was in iZombie, Person of Interest. He's done so many TV shows that have lasted multiple seasons. Oh, that yeah. You definitely recognize him even though like, even as a fan of him, I don't know his name from the top of my head. Enrico yep. Colantoni. Like, it's not exactly a household name, but he's definitely a recognizable. I know him more as Keith Mars. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, Rain Wilson popping up in this. I tweeted it out when I was watching it. I was like, hey, I know this guy. And he has, I think he has one line in the movie. I think I counted it as two. Two, maybe. But yeah, it, right. it's, he's, he's, he appears a lot in the background. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's hilarious. Because I kept looking for him and thinking, like, is he going to have more of a role? And is he going to say something? Because you know he's there and you know, that obviously, he's a great comic talent. You want to hear Dwight as an alien say something funny. And he just they just kept going to the other In characters. the couple of lines that they gave him, though, I could hear the Dwight in there. Like, there was just <laughs> little bits and pieces in there. It's when they first got to the, got to the um, spaceship. Yeah. And, or the... NSEA Protector 2. <laughs> um, and there was... I can't remember what the line was exactly, but um, it, it certainly felt like it was Rain Wilson uh, mm. presenting the line. So he didn't quite do it, do as well as what Enrico did in, in getting getting that alien. Yeah. A, a good seven years or... Yeah, seven years before The Office, though. So he's looking yep. so young. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Was there anyone else you wanted to talk about? Uh, Sam Rockwell, Missy Pyle. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, what's his name? Daryl Mitchell. I'm not sure whether you've actually the guy that played Laredo. Oh, the the black guy. Yeah. Um, so he was bigger than '90s, definitely. Yeah. Two years after this, he had a car accident and became paralyzed. You'd actually probably remember that he he did appear in Ed for a little while as a um yeah. as a paraplegic, and he's just recently joined NCIS. New Orleans as a as a main character um, in a wheelchair, which is fantastic that you know he's managed to continue on mm. after such a tragic accident. Um, I think that's to be applauded. And and you know, even though Laredo was a kid and and um, you know Daryl Mitchell Mitchell as Laredo as a, as an adult, they felt like the same character, which is the only character that actually had to had to emulate what. Mm what a kid did or the kid had to emulate what he did. You know, it's it's basically they, they felt like the same character and that had to be one of the hardest things to actually have happen when you're not sharing that with anyone else. Everyone else got to play themselves. Yeah, I think generally we can say everybody nailed their role. Like even Sam Rockwell, as you mentioned, like playing the red shirt, the yep. you know, the disposable cast member and kind of hamming up that angle. And, and that it's, it's a very meta kind of approach to you know this is what things were like when we were making the show therefore is it going to be like that when we're actually faced with an alien foreign planet you know what what i love about it though what they did in in the script with him was um he sort of 
fumbled his way into calling his character Guy and then, right. um, <laughs> you know, fumbled his way into saying his surname was Fliegman and then they just, that turns out to be his actual name. Like, <laughs> you know, he played that sort of bumbling mm. idiot sort of going through it, just gradually making his way way into it only to actually call his character by his own name, <laughs> which is yeah, even funnier. <laughs> And and it's good that he ends up having kind of a a pretty important role in the movie as well. Yeah. So Trevor, what would you say is the most '90s moment of Galaxy Quest? Um, the technology when they when they start um talking with Justin Long towards the end. Yeah, he's sitting on his computer. Him on the computers and all that sort of stuff, and the monitor is you know a a four by three, um you know CRT monitor and. Uh, the keyboard feels like it's, you know, one of the early IBM <laughs> compatible PC mm. um, keyboards with the clacky keyboard sounds and all that sort of stuff. I'm like, this actually feels 90s to me. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, I guess you remember it quite well. It's, I'm trying to think there, there hasn't really been, uh, apart from American Pie, I don't think any of the other movies we've talked about on this podcast involve people communicating with their computer. Yep. or like streaming that they had a webcam and i thought the webcam was a little bit too clear like they always are in oh these, they always in these are movies <laughs> i was like man this guy has a good internet connection for 1999 at 56k <laughs> modem if it was that even but but it actually brought me back to the 90s with the mum continually coming in and going have you put the bins out yet <laughs> like Dude, that, that's one of the funniest moments of the whole thing when like Tim Allen's character's t- trying to talk to him at a crucial point and it just cuts to him and he's running outside with the two garbage bins being like, Mom, this is really an The most inopportune time. moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So good. So good. But yeah, I had the same thing, the webcam. Um, something probably worth... I mean, apart from just the cast being super 90s with, um, you know, the stars of Monk, Home Improvement and, and Aliens... I think we could say the approach to nerd culture is very 90s because it hadn't broken out yet. Like this is a yep. pre-Brian uh, Singer X-Men world where nerds are still not cool. Um, Phantom Menace has just come out. So the Star Wars kind of um, resurgence is in its infancy. Marvel movies aren't really a thing. And Lord of the Rings hasn't been a thing yet either. It's very late in the in the Star Trek um, DS9, uh, sort of midway through Voyager around this time. So, you know, you still got Star Trek going on at this stage. Mm. And so I think that's why they couldn't do a Star Trek at this stage. I, I wouldn't be surprised if this was written around, you know, like the classic the classic members of Star Trek, but then decided, hang on, that's still going right now. Let's not <laughs> let's not actually talk about, you know, old Star Trek when we've got new Star Trek yeah. still happening. It might have been a bit too close to home to actually use references to actual people on Star Trek too. But yeah, I guess just like that portrayal of the nerds as um, these these geeks lining up at the convention and putting on their cosplays and everything. It's it's a very 90s thing because it, it was so niche at the time. And as we know from, you know, going to PAX and supernova and comic-con in melbourne and whatever mm-hmm. else like it's very much uh, i guess in some circles it's it's still kind of outsider but it's so common now it's it's not a strange thing it's not a strange concept yeah. and it's not a a geek in there those cons are, are, are like a very u.s thing at this time mm-hmm. um you know we didn't really have a convention here until what was it seven years ago when when pax finally came came here and then all of a sudden, oh, look, Supernova can actually be part of this. We can have hmm. a Comic-Con sort of thing or Oz Comic-Con. And um, so I think this sort of movie actually helped bring that into the zeitgeist all hmm. over the world. Uh, the idea of the convention isn't just American anymore. Yeah, that's right. And I'm going to skip ahead to my what holds up the best and we'll save yours for the proper hmm. sequence. But uh, I think <laughs> the... Uh, the whole embracing the nerd thing holds up the best because it is the nerds who save the day in this film. It's the guys at home on their computers who, you know, have 
meticulously planned something out like they're the problem solvers they're the ones that actually can be called upon when push comes to shove and, and they save the day and i think that them being shown as you know they're real people they're you know they're nerds they're a bit weird and socially awkward but they're good people and they can be heroes as well i think that kind of message holds up really well especially mm-hmm. being nerds ourselves i think we can relate to that and <laughs> i i like i i mentioned at the start like i watched this movie as a, as a kid like 12 years old when it came out i didn't have a history with star trek but i kind of understood what they were trying to do and i think now as an adult appreciating all the tropes and stuff of those old series it's and like knowing like shatner's personality and and kind of the memes and that kind of thing like it that like that's a such a great thing to send up because it's timeless in a lot of ways so i think that also holds up really well yeah definitely definitely okay we'll go most iconic scene what did you have there's so many good scenes but i think you've got to go to the um to the scene that i remember almost from the trailer which was the rock monster monster Mm. fight um and (laughs) and then the later the later rock monster fight where they um where they teleport the the rock monster in to beat up all the all the um, invading aliens on the on the uh, on the ship. Uh, those two scenes for me just um, they're so Star Trek, but they're so awesome at the same time. Mm. Um, and <laughs> it was one of the first things that I remembered about the about the um, the movie going back into it. Mm. Yeah, that's probably a good way to measure it because. Like, this isn't a, a movie that has the iconic scenes in the same sense that others do, probably because it's more of a cult classic and it's it's something that's, like, you, you couldn't probably just drop a Galaxy Quest reference in a general group of people and have most people know exactly what you're getting at, I think. But watching it and re-watching it, I, I guess I should say, the parts that I remembered and looked forward to were the first encounter with, uh, is it Saris, the bad yes. guy? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So when he doesn't realize that it's real and he thinks that it's like a, an elaborate set <laughs> and he's like, yeah, just like blast. Like he interrupts, like he just cuts off the guy and he's like, yeah, just blast the torpedoes full speed. Like, you know, whatever. fire the red particle cannon, fire the blue yeah. particle cannon. Yeah. Okay, we're done. <laughs> when it's just like, yeah, just get this guy out of my face. Like that's hilarious to me. And, it's, it's kind of like when you're watching it for the first time, I guess, and not knowing completely what the premise of the movie is, you're kind of figuring it out. Just, you're like one step ahead of where he's at. And I think that holds up really well. Um, and it's, it's probably the, the part that I remember the most. But then, as you mentioned, the whole scene with the rock monster, but more specifically the use of the... I think they call it like a digital transporter or something. Was yep. it? Yeah. Like the, the way that they teleport up the pig lizard and its guts are just like inside out inverted. <laughs> it's just like, oh man, this is like, this is intense. It, <laughs> and then when it successfully works for, for him, it's yeah, it's a, it's a good moment. Oh yeah. Yeah. They, they really structured that well and they didn't stay there too long. Like they didn't, um, None of the scenes seemed to actually live longer than they, than they needed to. They just mm-hmm. seemed to um, be quite an efficient movie, getting through all the scenes, always holding your attention, um, mm. which is very rare for a sci-fi film. A lot of the time, they try they try to hold on those on those awesome effects, um, but no, they they let it happen, get a couple of quick jokes out, and then cut away. Yeah. Um, and I, I've again got to applaud them for for actually moving moving the um the story along as quickly as they do yeah and this kind of segues into what holds up the best because i think the rock monsters cg actually holds up really well because it's a rock you know there's not like a uncanny valley with that there's no eyes or faces to kind of critique like I think that was even one of the joke. He's like poke it in the eyes, and he's like, it doesn't have eyes. It's a rock. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So I thought the the rock monster looked really cool. What do you think holds up the best in Galaxy Quest? Um, 
Ooh. Yeah, I'd I'd have to say that probably probably the um the storyline itself actually the holds premise, up the best. Yeah. The premise itself. Mm. Um cuz it it could still actually happen today in in the fact that um not that it could actually happen, but you you know you can you can see that that sort of fandom being around this whole this whole uh, Star Trek thing with all the Trekkies out there or Trekkers whatever they want to be called now. Um, Is that a thing? Yeah. Oh yeah, Trekker versus Trekkie. Oh well, yeah. Don't, oh, don't say the wrong don't say the wrong thing out there. Um, What's the difference? Is Trekkie like oh that was the guys in the seventies? We're Trekkers now because we're cool. <laughs> yeah, I I think because they released you know those two movies Trekkies and Trekkies uh, Trekkies okay. two. You know, a lot of them said, yeah, we don't like to be called Trekkies. <laughs> Sensitive bunch. I, I think I think the premise itself holds up the best. Yeah. I actually had that written down too, so spot on. What holds up the worst, though? Um, I know that you were saying that the CGI for the rock monster felt really, really good, but the CGI for those tiny little aliens beforehand <laughs> really didn't hold up. Yeah. It kind of looks and, like a like a TV commercial or something, doesn't it? Like yep. that level of quality. Um, the other thing I think is missing from this film is um, some more female leads. Like that, that to me feels very much that there's there's not enough um, representation across across um, a variety of different uh, nationalities, uh, sexes. You know all that sort of stuff for for um, Star Trek itself, which is is known to um, have a lot of different um, a lot of different people from all different all different uh, walks of life. Uh, to not have that many different walks of life in this, I mean, basically you had what feels like three white guys, and mm. in fact four white guys. Like <laughs> you know, it it didn't feel uh, like it was progressive enough in the in the same way that star trek was right yeah that's that's a legitimate um comment i think and yeah like there's no reason that one of those characters couldn't have been a woman if that's also or just important. just had more more alien women like the majority yeah. of the um of the aliens were all male like yeah, one, you like had one yeah. you had the one who was missy pile who she's a great character actor um She's been in a lot of things. You'd probably not even be able to say, yeah, I know her from this film, this film, this film, but I know her from, you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory where she played one of the um, one of the uh, kids' mums. And, um, in fact, she's played Violet, um, Violet's mum in that. Um, and then uh, <laughs> Josie and the Pussycats, she played... Um, <laughs> she, she was one of the... One of the um, one of the side characters yes. in that, yeah. and yeah, I, I've known her from a lot of different things, but she was the only pretty much female alien mm. all the way through it. So basically, you got two two lead females um, surrounded by by um, males. Just the fact that they could have had more females in the actual um, in the in the aliens is is pretty much how I'd like how I'd like it to go. I understand with the um, with the tropes that they wanted to sort of hit on which is that there weren't that many um females in early star trek there was the one mm. so hitting that trope and having and, she, and, and her role was like her role was basic as they make a joke like yeah she has no purpose really on the ship <laughs> yeah so i i get it for for you know the majority of the film you yeah. need to have that one female and it's the token female who literally just does nothing on the ship Mm. But there could have been more representation in the um in the aliens, and there could have also been more representation from different nationalities in in the main cast of of like the the actors. That's my my biggest complaint about this. Sure, I, I can hear what you're saying. I think if you're saying that that holds up the worst, I guess yeah, maybe it stands out now. Like if this movie got made now, it wouldn't be so vanilla. Um, yeah, and. It's interesting that you bring up that female alien being like the one because they beefed up her role because she was the only one. Like yep. I, I read somewhere online that they found that actor and cast her because she was 
perfect for it and she did such a great job and they thought we need to make this a bit more substantial so i guess that it was on their mind but not enough for them to actually address it mm. and, and maybe by 1999 standards this was considered like progressive i don't know <laughs> but I yeah know. I, I think that that really that um i remember seeing the scene where where they go into the barracks and that you see all these lines of aliens oh, all yeah. the way down and every single one of them is male. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, right. I also had the F- FX. I wrote FX. I had the FX <laughs> holding mm-hmm. up as the worst because they were probably great in '99. And as I mentioned, industrial light and magic were involved. I think some of them, like there was like a okay mix of physical, like practical effects and and digital. Yep. Um, which I'm glad it wasn't just all digital because it was around that same time as Phantom Menace could have easily gone down that path. Yeah, but don't forget Phantom Menace did a lot of practical effects. It was Attack right. of the Clones that, that, you know, made the digital Yoda. Um, right, okay. <laughs> Phantom and, Menace still still included a puppet Yoda, so... And it had a, a way bigger budget as well. Yeah. I think the makeup effects, though, were amazing. Like, mm. Saris looked really, really quite good. Um, yeah. The, the other aliens, not so much, like the um, the other the aliens of that same of race. No, yeah. no, the same race of, of as Saris, the, the oh, bad right. guys. Yeah. The other ones seemed a bit cheaper. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's like they spent all the budget on Saris. <laughs> and then and then the squid-like aliens, uh, yeah, they're, they're played for fun. So I, I get yeah. around that, you know, that's... And the- the pig, uh, pig lizard. <laughs> that felt cheap, but it also felt like this feels like a, a typical Star Trek cheap alien right. that would have been around in the 1980s. <laughs> so we kind of get that kind <laughs> at of the same time. Get away with it, yeah. It's also it leads into one of the best best scenes in the whole film. You know mm. where where they're talking about. Did you just say that it turned inside out? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and then everyone ducks and it's like it yep. exploded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I love aliens that don't like understand human like conventions of like lying and keeping things from people. And it, it's done with such great comedic effect in this movie, especially, mm. uh, but yeah, it's easy to critique special effects and especially with the passage of time. But oh, we've yeah. been like, as mentioned in previous podcasts with you, like me and my wife have been rewatching lost and even lost being a, a big budget TV series um, and, you know, the later seasons happening like towards 2010, there was still really cheap looking CG Oh yeah, for like sharks and for like, there's like a plane landing and it's very clearly like the whole plane is CG. And I don't know if people just didn't notice it at the time because our CG has improved so much now. I really don't know, like... I can't remember at the time noticing it and caring. Yeah, but at the same time with Lost, and I can't wait till we finally produce our, <laughs> our podcast, found a Lost podcast, um, where we can actually talk about the fact that everything that feels like it's everywhere else in the world was all filmed in Hawaii. And they just mm. use CG to actually make those locales look not like Hawaii. True. And the fact that... Because um, there's the Sydney Opera House in every shot of Sydney. Yeah, that too. <laughs> in the background. Um, but the fact the fact that I was, I was watching this one thing where they actually digitally added in, like, there was a mountain in the background and there's snow on the ground and all this sort of stuff and none of it existed on the set. They just digitally inserted it and I'm like, oh my God, they I didn't pick this as a CG shot. And mm. they did that all the way through it. But anyway, enough lost. We can talk about that in Found, a lost podcast coming one day in the yeah. far future. <laughs> but I guess my, my point is that it's easy to pick on the special effects. It really is. It's only, I think it's really only the last kind of like 10 years since, since it's easy to just link it to Marvel. But I feel like it's the last kind of 10 years that it's become hard to actually distinguish yeah. difference completely. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. All right. That's enough about that. So who would be the most offended? You've talked a bit about some of the representation. Is that basically your response That's to that pretty one? much it because other than that, it was fairly inoffensive. Like, mm. um, watching yeah. through it, there was there was nothing said in there that, that you know, 
could be considered a trigger or anything like that from what I could from what I could sort of tell when in my um, you know rather privileged life <laughs> so I I wasn't um, I yeah. didn't notice anything out there yeah I actually quite liked the way that they I think the term is lampshade they like lampshaded some of the tropes and uh, like the sexist approach to to roles for women in the mm-hmm. 80s kind of sci-fi movies and you know the fact that I think she says like her TV guide interview was six questions or six minutes of questions about her how her breasts fit into her outfit and yeah I'm sure like there's so many things in this movie that are based on reality and real anecdotes that actors have talked about in their experiences with the Star Trek franchise so I think that whether it's um, you know her talking about that or like t- stories you've heard about Carrie Fisher being like the only woman in in Star Wars and and stuff like that like I think they did a really clever job to kind of lampoon that approach and highlight kind of that it's that we're past that if that makes sense so yeah yeah relatively inoffensive nothing no really even like edgy humor nothing that could really be considered like a problem I think so it gets a big tick for kind of holding up in oh yeah 2020 yeah, like, so. I, like I mentioned and I've mentioned Hannah a few times on this podcast. Sometimes she just can't stomach the '90s movies; like they just feel too old. This one yep. doesn't feel like an old movie. Like it feels like it could have come out, apart from some of that uh, special effects. Like it feels like it could have come out very recently. Oh, definitely. So, with that said, does it pass the internet relevancy test, Trevor? Um, I actually typed into Google "Galaxy Quest meme," and so many things came up that I'm like, "Hang on, I've seen that recently." Oh yeah, that's what that's from. Um, there was there was one that was um, explain it to him like it like he's a child, and I'm yeah. I'm just thinking you know explain like I'm five, which is very <laughs> relevant on Reddit right right now. So yeah, I think um, a lot of things are quotable in this in this film. Interesting. I, I could see myself using using a couple of them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's pretty much memes for everything if you search for them. That's the thing. Yeah. So I, I'm going to say, like, in terms of relevancy, for me, that my initial thought was no. Like, I don't, like, top of my head, I don't recall anyone using, like, GIF reactions of Galaxy Quest. I don't recall people quoting it, like, in everyday internet exchanges in the way that you would for other movies and that kind of thing. So it's partly, like I mentioned before, it, this being a, more of, like, a cult classic in that sense. But even then, like something like Office Space is way more memeable. Oh yeah, yep. Compared to this, and that was way more of a cult classic. So, using kind of a bell curve marking grade, I have to say that it's on the lower side. Yeah, yeah. I'd say it doesn't pass the internet relevancy test. And I think you could even look at like how many people would be able to name like the lead character of this movie, like his actor character's name. Do you know it off the top of your head? We just uh... watched the movie. Yeah, no, I can't. Jay- do it. Yeah, Jason Nesmith. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard because they're playing like the actor and the character. So like yep. you might remember like Doctor Lazarus, but you won't remember that he's playing like Alexander. Yeah, Dane. well, I remembered Laredo, but I didn't remember that the rest of the time they call him Tommy, Tommy. Weber. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that was one of the things. I was like, the aliens don't have any problem with them saying like a different name. Like, why are you calling? You know, our the commander Jason. His name's not Jason. Yep. It's you know, yeah. They, they and and the up. fact that they continue calling Gwen, yeah, Gwen, and not and not whatever her name was, Tawny or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> Tawny Madison. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, what a name. <laughs> okay, so how would smartphones and social media change the movie? It wouldn't really. No. Like, I, I think I think because they had the communicator in there at the end. Mm. Um, the internet, uh, yeah, the, um, nowadays the actual webcam that they, that they displayed would be almost that clear. Um, I say almost mm. because we're on webcam right now and it's definitely not as clear as what it was, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think that's the only, that's the only difference that new technology would actually. Yeah. I, it's, it's kind of like the, most of the movie takes place in space. So yeah. what, what could a, a smartphone or Facebook really change? 
Um, like there's the there's the they've actually got where... technology that doesn't exist here now, which is um, basically interstellar instantaneous um, communications. So yeah, true. Yeah, they even fly through like a black hole. Like, well, it's interstellar yeah. stuff. Um, and that, there's like tablet devices in this movie before we really had tablets. Yeah. Like much like I guess like Star Trek as well, but like when he's using the controls to steer the ship out for the first time, very gingerly. Um, touchscreen and all this yeah, sort of stuff like exactly but as far as like how would a smartphone change the movie when tim allen's character is like losing it at galaxy quest convention to the to the fan i think like that would get filmed and maybe it gets like goes viral or something yeah like, actor loses it that kind of thing but yeah it's not going to change the storyline it would just change a couple of jokes could you make this movie in 2020 and what would that look like uh, you could make it. Should you make it is a better question. And no, you shouldn't because it actually holds up. Like, yeah. That, that as far as I'm concerned, if the, if they remade it now, I would not want to go see it because it's it's not needed. Um, mm. I didn't. It didn't feel super dated, um, except for the technology at the end. Like other than that, um, it was it was just as relevant today as as what it was back then. So yeah. Yeah, I guess with Star Trek, like that 80s Star Trek series being a lot kind of less relevant than it probably was 20 years ago, I'm thinking like you could make a new version of this that's not like a direct version and maybe it would be, I don't know, like what was a really popular series in the early 2000s? Maybe, I don't know, like Hercules or something, Xena, like that would be... <laughs> Xena Warrior Princess. <laughs> it would be like it would be like a send-off of Xena Warrior Princess or something. I don't know. Like, what, it, did, did fantasy and, and sci-fi kind of go away from TV or was it yeah. just becoming a bit more niche? Like, there's the sci-fi channel, obviously. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at early 2000s. You've got, like, Farscape that you could pre- pretty much, you know, yeah. maybe Sliders. take and... Yeah, sliders, uh, quantum leap. You know, you got a few of those yeah. things that you could sort of make it about now. But I just thought of, I just had the idea. Okay, so it would it would be a Buffy the Vampire Slayer kind of takeoff, and it would be like an another like a fantasy land travels through a portal and they take Buffy to their land to fight the the vampires, but it's like Sarah Michelle Gellar instead of Buffy. <laughs> That could be actually quite cool. Yeah. You got Seth Green, you know, or a Seth Green type. I think that, yep. that would that would work. I'd watch it. Yep. There you go. Alright. So yeah, you could make this kind of movie now. I think the premise is so rock solid that really Yeah. If if you can come up with a clever way to do it, then it's definitely yeah. nothing that's so dated about it that it wouldn't work. Useless trivia. Harold Ramis was originally assigned to direct this and he wanted to cast Alec Baldwin in the lead role which he turned down Steve Martin and Kevin Klein were also considered and mm-hmm. uh, when Tim Allen was cast Ramis left the project <laughs> wow he didn't he didn't want to work with him for some reason um, and he was like adamant about not using anyone who'd been in sci-fi movies before so Sigourney Weaver wasn't part of the project but then when he was booted even though like he'd worked with her on Ghostbusters she came in after he left and Apparently, he was impressed with Alan's performance. So, I guess even at the time, people weren't sure that he would be able to pull it off. Yep. Um, to bring this full circle. Yeah, I think he did a really good job with that character and the swagger that he brought as kind of the hot shot has been. Mm-hmm. That's all we have for the useless trivia, which takes us straight into the Steve Buscemi Spark Plug Award. Steve Buscemi. A real spark plug. You mentioned Rain Wilson. He doesn't do enough to get this. I think. Justin Long is probably the only real contender here. Like, he's not in the movie so much that he's there the whole time. Whenever he does show up, uh, I think that he's quite funny and relatable and just brings a lot to the screen. So, what do you think about Justin Long taking the prize? So, explain to me what the Steve Buscemi Spark Plug Award actually is so I can... So I can- yeah. I've got a couple of ideas for contenders. Okay. So it's someone who just shows up and lights things up and then they're gone. So it's it can be a cameo. It can be someone that's yep. kind of used sparingly, but not a main cast member. 
Yeah, so then Justin Long definitely fits the bill. Yeah. There might be an alien or two that fit the bill, but I don't know. Did any of them stand out enough to to knock off Justin Long? Yeah, the only one that that you'd say would be um, uh, Lorelei or whatever her name was, the Mm -hmm. female alien. Because, you know, you can tell that every time that she appeared on the screen, like, um, especially when she was appearing on there with Fred Kwan... And they started kissing and all that sort of stuff, and, you know, like <laughs> the tentacles come out. Yeah, that that was just amazing. But I think as as far as lit up the screen every time he was on, it was Justin Long. Like, yeah, um, the second that he was on on screen, you know, you sort of your eyes were actually drawn to him and going, "Oh, who's this guy?" Um, yeah. Who he wasn't really known at this stage. So yeah. Yeah, that's good. I, I think Justin deserves it. But yeah, that's a, a good point you bring up. And especially when like her translator's broken the first time you meet yeah. her and she makes that sound. It's just like, whoa. <laughs> where, where did that come from? <laughs> yeah. All right. Is it still a good movie? Yeah, obviously. Still a great movie. Uh, I would be recommending people go out and watch it if they haven't because I, I know a lot of people still haven't seen this movie. And I think it's as relevant now as... Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe not as relevant now as ever, but I think you can appreciate it now as much as ever. Yeah. Uh, it's not one of those movies that you go in expecting it to be um, side-splittingly funny, though. I actually mm. found myself sort of sitting there enjoying the story and smiling a lot. Yep. Yeah. Um, not laughing, you know, at every single at every single joke. Some of the jokes did fall a little, little bit flat. Uh, there was one thing that, as far as I, you know, sort of an English um, an English nerd <laughs> goes. The minor, minor one, of, one of the things that Tim Allen said was we're in the 23rd quadrant of the Gamma Sector. I'm like, quadrants only have four. <laughs> like, the fact that that was there, it actually had me chuckling for a little while because it's like it's something that they quite often put into into these sci-fi things where it really doesn't make, make sense that they've actually called something a quadrant when there when there's 23 of them <laughs> mm. yeah he's um he's a big sci-fi fan apparently tim allen and like you can tell people in this movie had a lot of fun making it yeah and they brought a lot of their i guess their fandom into it especially people like him probably not so much alan rickman not being a sci-fi fan but i think that it's just yeah as you said it's a fun movie you sit there with a smile on your face a lot of the jokes um still work really well some of them you know as you said they're not hilarious you know it's not a side splitting spit my milk out kind of movie but it's clever enough to make you appreciate what they're doing pretty much at every point oh yeah yeah Yeah. there was there was no point that i thought oh that that joke really didn't land um it was more yeah that was nice um (laughs) it was it wasn't life out loud funny but it was nice it was you know appreciated there's so many like it's just i just find it clever like that's the word i keep coming back to like when they're at the like the electronic store opening and they're they're <laughs> in character like as a team and like they have to this is their life now and it just makes me think of like these these great actors like sir ian mckellen and sir patrick stewart and they have to live with nerds coming out to them on the street every day probably and like quoting movies to them from 30 years ago uh, yep. i'm sure they some of them relish it and they appreciate it because it's put millions of dollars in their pocket but you know harrison ford is a classic example han solo like he, he wouldn't want to talk to anyone about star wars i feel no. like <laughs> um you you mentioned picard oh not picard um patrick stewart and I, mm-hmm. I straight away go to to you know picard which was 1987 he started that role and he's just you know appeared in in star trek yeah. picard um, to actually go for him to go back to a role like that shows how much um, you know he really appreciates um, what the fandom has done. But mm. have you ever seen his um, extras episode that he did with yes. Ricky Gervais? <laughs> that yes, was absolutely. amazing, and and the and the fact that you know he he says you know the the whole make it so um, at the end, and and there's like what. Nothing. I just assumed because you're you're thirty years old and single that you would have watched at least one episode of Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, I always appreciate when these like royalty, like Hollywood royalty, have a sense of humor about themselves. 
Yeah. But I, that's, I, uh, if you have not seen that episode of Extras, you have to see it just for like basically the um the monologue that um that Patrick Stewart does talking about his ideal like film that he'd be in or TV series mm-hmm. where he's talking about having powers to to like change change things in the world <laughs> it's just amazing that it's on it's on youtube just look up patrick stewart extras yeah you'll get a great laugh out of it anyway that is all we have time for on comedy rewind thanks for joining me trevor it's been good thank you very much johnny sorry yep. i i keep on going off the rails a bit <laughs> that's all right where can people find you and, and bitstorm you can find me on twitter at trev h scott and then you can find um us on the Bitstorm podcast, um, podchaser.com slash Bitstorm. Very good, very good. Or find us on Twitter at Bitstormcast. Okay, and you can catch me on Twitter at Jono himself. Of course, the Apple podcast, the Podchaser reviews, they all go a long way to getting the word out there, telling your friends, whatever you can do to support this show as well as the rest of the fantastic podcasts in the 8-Bit Collective, including Bitstorm. And uh, yeah, I guess that's all for now. Thank you for joining us on Comedy Rewind. Be kind.